one of the guys looked at our our preaching calendar and uh, and said, "Is this accurate?" And I said, "Yeah, these are the series that we did, and here's all the stuff." And he looked at me and he said, uh, "It's okay for you to be the primary communicator, but it's not okay to be the solitary communicator at this church." Um, and in that uh, on that calendar, it reflected that I think I had spoken. 47 or 48 times out of 52 weeks, and we take one week off already. And he's like, that's too much. And I said, yeah, but they love me, and they cannot get, they're not getting sick of me. And he's like, um, he's like, no, you need to protect your voice. And I'm like, I'm healthy, I'm fine. He's like, your voice in terms of like the, the non-tangible, you want people to, con- to, to want to listen. You know, you want, you, you, if you're doing it every week, it just gets repetitive. And by the way, it's really one-sided. You need other people, other perspectives, other thoughts. Like people don't always have to agree with you on that stuff. And so I was like, okay, that's really good. That's intentional, that's, that's smart. So a- ever since then, we've, I've tried to, and our leadership team is encouraging me to uh, find additional voices uh, to be able to come in and speak. So this year, we've got a couple of university professors that uh, I, I went to college, uh, not with, because I'm not that old, but they were teachers when I was there, and they're awesome. Uh, so we're going to be bringing them in, uh, one in, in June and one in September. Uh, we've got a couple of out, uh, outside um, pastors. Um, my, my parents were here. They're both pastors. That my, my, my dad just did a couple weeks ago, and my mom back in January. Um, and then also uh, just some friends and some and, and even some internal community people. Who do we have in our local community that could be possibly a voice uh, to be able to come up and do something? So this week you're getting one of those. Uh, her name's Kristen Middleton. I'll let her explain her story and how she came here, and you'll you'll hear all of that. She came up to me a few uh, months ago and said, or, or um, and, and had an interest in kind of, hey, what do you ever have any speakers come up and do this? And I said, not not typically, but we we'd love to explore it as options. She said, would you be interested in, in me talking about mental health, God and mental health? And it's one of those topics that's like, it's like necessary but messy. Like you know, it's it's like it's it's a dirty job, right? A little bit. So uh, and so, and anytime somebody asks you, hey, can I take care of a dirty job for you? You say, yes, of course you can, right? This morning we had somebody go. Brent, there's pizza in the men's urinal. Can I take care of that for you? And I said, absolutely, you can. Yes. Must have been a hell of a concert last night. Yes, I don't know how that happened. But um, uh, so you say yes when those things happen. She came up and said, um, mental health, I wanted, I've got some background in this area, and, and I think I've got some, some wisdom from that, and uh, I'd like to share. So today, please welcome with me Krista Middleton. Um, yeah, so Brent, Brent had... Um been talking to me a few months back as well about bringing in new voices. And I asked him if I could speak about this particular subject. Um, I do have a background in my own mental health issues and healing through them. And Jesus has been a big part of that. So I felt like those topics really came together. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I live in Richland. I'm married to an amazing guy, John. He's sitting up front here. Um, We have two daughters, Addie and Sage. They're both under two years old, so life gets a little hectic, to say the least. Um, And basically, back when um, we first got married, um, that was probably one of the hardest years of my life. Um, And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later in the sermon. Um, But what prompted me to want to do this sermon here today and here at Eastlake was that Over the winter, someone in one of our social circles um, took his own life. And that deeply saddened and shocked me. I did not know him that well, um, but the ripple effect still reached me, and my heart broke for him and his family. Um, He was struggling with an addiction, 
And as someone who has also had mental health issues, I really felt like God was calling me loud and clear to share my story with you and to let you all know this simple but very important message. There's absolutely hope for you if you or someone you know is struggling or suffering. There's absolutely hope for you. And interestingly, this message ties in nicely um, with what our kids are learning in the elementary program here. <clears throat> Each month we do a word, um, a different theme to teach them about Jesus. And this month's word is hope. And hope is believing that something good can come out of something bad. God wanted me to tell you something else this morning, you guys. He wants you to know something. You are precious. You are unique and unrepeatable. You are amazing. You have amazing gifts to offer the world, and you are wonderful. And God is here for you. Please know that no matter what you've done in your life or what you've left undone, no matter what secrets you may be carrying here today, you can feel happy and whole and you can explore those dark places with God's help and heal from them. In a few minutes, I'm going to talk a little bit about my own journey with mental health issues, how I've experienced healing in my own life, and how critically important my relationship with Jesus Christ, my God, my higher power, has been in healing. If you're a new visitor here today, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. So to get us started, I want to give us a little bit of background context on this topic of mental health, and particularly mental health in the U.S. So mental health is actually a national epidemic these days. Um, in terms of numbers, in the United States, almost half of all adults will experience a mental illness in their lifetime. And that's just what's been recorded. So there's a lot of other people who may not have been, you know, diagnosed with a mental health illness, but who are still suffering. So like in this room alone, if I were to draw a line, that's half of the people here, possibly more. Approximately one in 25 adults in the U.S. experience a severe mental illness in a given year, one that's quite disabling. So that's about 10 people in this room, maybe more. And finally, nearly 60% of adults with a mental illness didn't receive mental health services in the previous year. So if you're struggling, there's a good chance that you haven't sought help. John Mark Comer is a pastor and writer who I respect, and he wrote an excellent book called My Name is Hope. And he wrote this quote. He said, in my mind, I was the only one of my friends, the only one in my church, the only one on the planet who struggled with anxiety and depression. I was dead wrong. He writes, staggering numbers of modern Americans fight anxiety and depression. In 2010, more than 253 million, I'm going to say that again, you guys, more than 253 million prescriptions were written for antidepressants in the U.S. The nation only has 311 million people. Words like pandemic come to mind. Odds are you or someone you know 
is or has struggled with mental health issues. Maybe you or someone you know is struggling with an addiction or alcohol abuse, maybe heroin. Maybe it's not a substance at all. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe you're struggling with infidelity in your marriage or someone's broken trust. We know we're not the only ones when we're struggling, but sometimes in the moment it really feels like it. Maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety, or these issues are intertwined for you and you feel a lot of them. Maybe you're keeping a secret right now and you're struggling with that. You want to ask for help, but you feel like if you did, your whole life would break into a thousand pieces and you would lose people that you care about. C.S. Lewis, a Christian philosopher who you probably know from books like Narnia, um, he wrote something with a lot of insight, and I wanted to share that with you today. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. He shouts in our pains. Perhaps in your struggle, you feel like you're the worst of the worst. I know for me that when I'm struggling with what I call emotional sobriety, like when I'm trying to stay emotionally stable, it's really hard for me when I start to slip. Um, like if I start to act out, it feels like a cycle and just gets worse and worse. And I just kind of spiral downward. So maybe in your case or in the case of someone you know, um, when you do something that doesn't feel right and you know it isn't right, you get really mad at yourself. Maybe you feel self-loathing or even self-hatred. And so you just do it again and you do it again. And it's this downward spiral and cycle. And you're wondering, how do I break this cycle? Please know you are not alone in feeling that way. Maybe you suffered from emotional, verbal, or physical abuse growing up. Or maybe you're the perpetrator of that abuse, but you don't know how to stop. I understand how you feel. Maybe your child is being bullied at school right now and it pains you to see your little one suffering. Or maybe your kid is the bully and that really hurts too. My brother-in-law, Mark, is an amazing pastor and he wrote a book called Christ Strong. And he had this wisdom to share, which I think is really apropos for uh, my sermon today. He said, every one of us is in process. God is working in you now. That's right, you guys, right now as you're sitting here in your seat. God is working in you right now. He is building strength in you. When you understand that God is the artist and you are his masterpiece, you know there will be seasons of waiting, of weakness, and of failure. But that doesn't mean God is done with you. He is working. And my friends, we, yes, you right there, and you and you are his masterpiece. When we recognize that we are in process, we can be a little bit more gentle with ourselves and perhaps with those we love who are struggling as well. Maybe it's time to make that appointment with a therapist. Maybe it's time to check out a program like Celebrate Recovery over at Central Church or another support group, <clears throat> whatever your story may be, 
there is hope. I'm going to say that again. Because we have some dark moments sometimes, don't we, my friends? Whatever your story may be, there is hope. I'm glad you're here, and I encourage you to keep listening a little longer. I want to tie it back to Jesus, though, and what this day in particular means. Today is Palm Sunday, and next weekend is Easter. Easter has always been one of my favorite holidays, one of my favorite celebrations. Uh, Jesus' resurrection is what we're celebrating next weekend, and Brent will be back to preach. Um, But today is Palm Sunday, and Jesus entered Jerusalem. Um, Everybody celebrated his entrance. Um, But over the course of the week, uh, he was crucified. He died and rose again. Um, And I want to focus on this idea of transformation and rebirth. Because Jesus is that ultimate symbol and that ultimate person in his person and then as God. Transformation and rebirth. When we bring Jesus into our life, we are capable of the same. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I got here today. So my hubby, John, is one of six boys. And he and his brothers uh, grew up on a farm out in Pasco. And we were here, John and I were here visiting um, about a year ago. So we actually moved here from Massachusetts last spring um, with our daughter. And at the time, I was pregnant with our second daughter. And I grew up on the East Coast. And we were out here visiting last February. And if you had asked me last February before this trip, did I ever picture myself living in Richland um, and living in the Tri-Cities, I would have said, no, unless you can promise me the winters are easier than Massachusetts. (laughs) But um, that didn't happen. Um, But no, I I really could not imagine living here. I grew up on the East Coast. Um, But after our trip here, we had spent so much time with family and seen our daughter playing with her cousins. And on the last night of that trip, we were getting ready for bed, and I remember turning to John and saying, hey, babe, can I talk to you about something? And he said, yeah, what's up? And I said, this is so wild, but I'm really feeling like the Holy Spirit is calling us as a family to move back to the Tri-Cities where you grew up. And he was like, whoa, I was feeling the same calling from the Spirit. He said, I felt the same way, but I didn't want to bring it up with you because we've had this conversation before. And you, you know, we had decided as a, as a unit that we were going to raise our family in, in the East Coast. So the Holy Spirit was prompting both of us on this trip to consider moving here. Um, We decided to take a couple weeks to pray about it, think about it, talk to other people. Um, And ultimately, we did end up moving here. And for me, that was a big leap of faith, a big, um, you know, trusting in God moment. But it was a lot easier for me to do Um, because I have such a close relationship with Jesus, and it wasn't always that way. So let me take you back a little bit, um, back to the Bible, and just reflect on Colossians 2.7. Colossians says, let your roots grow down into him, Jesus, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. I love this image here. It's like an image of a tree, right? Let your roots grow down and your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. 
My husband and I are committed to being the best people we can be, better parents. We're not perfect, um, but we do credit our relationship with God as being the most powerful aspect in our healing as individuals. And I'll also say, letting your roots grow down, um, it's a process. You know, healing healing from anything um, and getting through mental health, getting to a healthier place is not an overnight process. I would even argue it's a, it's a lifetime of, of work, but it's beautiful work, and it, it really results in great fruits and great fruitfulness and happiness. I've found that when I try to heal myself on my own, when I feel like I can do it myself, and this is how I was a lot in my um, teen years and in my 20s, I put way too much pressure on myself, and I think I know all the answers, and I don't, and I still struggle with that today. Um, and when I, when I fall back on that self-reliance, I often make poor choices. Um, for me, it's more about having confidence in myself and great self-respect, but also knowing that at the end of the day and ultimately God's will, God works through me and I'm co-creating my life with Jesus. Let me tell you, life isn't easy, but when you're rooted in Jesus, it is easier and there's nothing that you can't get through. I have a friend whose pastor doesn't believe that his anxiety needs to be treated by anything other than prayer. And I think as Christians, sometimes we promote that or we've heard that before in the church. Um, and I just want to share with you my opinion, which is that while I think prayer is extremely important and it's definitely an integral part of every one of my days, it's not the only thing. And I think that God has really offered us a lot of tools out there. For example, he's given certain people the gift of being excellent therapists. That's a gift directly from God. So why not reach out to a therapist or a counselor or a life coach? Um, gift of people who've developed medications that help with anxiety and depression. I believe that's a gift from God. I think that God wants us to choose life. I think he made these tools available for our benefit. When we admit that our lives have become unmanageable and that we need God's help to transform ourselves, then we take the powerful step of inviting God into our life to co-create happiness. When we are healthy and when we love ourselves, we are better equipped to love our neighbor and to build God's heavenly kingdom on earth. And I think that's what God wants for us. We're taught to love our neighbor as ourself. Hugely important, hugely important. Thank you, Jesus, for that lesson. But let's not skip over the word yourself. To love our neighbor as we love ourself requires that we love and respect ourselves, that we not abuse ourselves that we go to those dark places and we look at them honestly and heal them. And when we're able to do that, we're so much better able to heal and help and bless the people around us. Even when things aren't going great, it can be really good to have something like a support system, a recovery program, a therapist, um, a support group in place. Um, like I mentioned, I have done Celebrate Recovery, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, but there are also programs like Divorce Care, Grief Share, um, 
even a Bible study group can be a real, uh, real beacon of support. But to have other people in your life that you can go to um, for that for that spiritual connection and help. That's really important. Um, my first year of marriage was a big transition for me and a hard time. I went from living a mostly single life in my 20s um, before getting married. And if any of you have ever been in an intimate relationship or in one now, maybe with a partner, um, a spouse, a friend, a family member, you know that it's kind of like, it can be like holding up a mirror to yourself. Um, it's like, well, I did something and now I see it very clearly. This is my behavior. And that's illuminating. And also for me felt really scary. Um, I was just overwhelmed seeing myself, um, like acting, acting differently, seeing behaviors in myself that I'd never seen. Um, and I felt emotionally unstable. And so I got involved in a program called Celebrate Recovery. And just so you know, because I didn't know this before I joined Celebrate Recovery back in Massachusetts, just so you know, Celebrate Recovery is not only for substance abuse, like alcohol and narcotics and so forth. It's also for a whole spectrum of mental health issues or personal challenges. Um, in my program, there were groups for um, perfectionism, um, because some, for some people, perfectionism can be so overwhelmingly disabling, it's actually a, can be a mental health issue. Um, there's a group called Family Issues. There was a group for sex addiction, um, a group for pornography addiction. There was the substance abuse groups, um, eating disorders, you name it. Celebrate Recovery has it, has a, a group for healing in those areas. Um, so I joined a woman's support group through Celebrate Recovery called Family Issues. And started to realize that I played a role in the friction that was happening in my marriage. <clears throat> and I learned that it felt empowering. And this part was surprising, but it felt empowering to take responsibility for my own actions and behaviors. Not just blaming my partner when something went wrong, but saying, well, I have a part to play. So the emotional upheaval I was feeling in my first year of marriage was something that, with Jesus' help, I could regulate and manage and look at, finally. And my relationship with Jesus got really strong. The women in my group and I all prayed for each other. And while this was four or five years ago, um, or maybe six years ago that I joined the group, I am still in touch with these ladies um, and we call each other regularly. They're called accountability partners. Um, and if I'm having an off day, I can call them and they'll pray with me and vice versa. I'm there for them when they need me. So I also remember though how awkward it felt the first time I went to a support group. Um, we were all in a circle of chairs and I sat down. And while I respected and was enthralled, to be honest, um, by the stories they were sharing, I was so terrified to open my mouth and speak anything um, about myself that I thought would make me look bad or would make me look weird. Um, so it took me several weeks of going to this support group before I actually uh, opened my mouth to share a little bit about my own struggles. Um, but that was God's timing. You know, he, I, didn't, I didn't rush it. Um, I just kept going back, and slowly I opened up and began to heal. Um, 
a couple other things I was doing though during this during this immediate first year of marriage where I was needing help and healing was I also went to a therapist and she was excellent. And therapy was good for me. Um, and I just want to add as a side note, this is not prescriptive. You know, everybody's story is different. So while th- these are the things that I did that have helped me to become a much more grounded person, your story may look different or may be different. Um, so I just want you to know that. But with my therapist, I learned something called cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. Um, not to be confused with CBD, which is a whole different oil marijuana thing. That's not what I'm preaching on today. Um, but cognitive behavioral therapy is a form of psychotherapy that focuses on how a person's thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes affect their feelings and behavior. A person can learn tools and techniques to help develop more beneficial ways of thinking and behaving. So I like to imagine it as like having like a toolbox, like a or tool belt. And you can just pull out these tools. This is what I do every day if I'm feeling like anxiety rising. Pull out a tool and use it to help me. Um, One example is a breathing technique called 478 that my hubby and I, especially with little children, we use all the time. Um, 478 is when you, um, you already tried it, didn't you? you? You take four breaths in, hold for seven breaths, and then release your breath for a count of eight. And so why that's cool and why that works is you're actually sending oxygen up to the front part of your brain, which controls um, rational thinking. And when we're upset, our reptile brain or the back of your brain is, is what's activated. So that's why things like meditation and yoga and deep breathing can actually really help you to lower your adrenaline and calm down. That was one tool I learned. Um, Also, this one's really cool. I still use this today um, on a regular basis. It's a recorder. Um, So basically, I went to Best Buy, and I bought one of those uh, handheld recorders, you know, that, like, reporters will use when they're interviewing people. And I recorded myself speaking different um, lines of scripture and different mantras excuse me, um, and, and just different um, positive prayers. And I recorded myself slowly enough that when I would um, be driving or sometimes when I wake up in the morning, because I still do this, I push play on the recorder and I hear my own voice saying that line of scripture and then I speak it out loud. Oh, you guys, this is like an amazing thing for me. Um, to have been doing that because one, it's really cool and empowering to hear your own voice. At first, when I heard my voice on the recorder, I was like, "That's how I sound on a re- <laughs> that's how I sound in the microphone or the recorder." But it really helps to build one's relationship with oneself to hear your own voice. Um, and then, furthermore, I was slowly reprogramming some of the negative thinking that I was having every day or the negative tracks. So this is, this is an active tool of cognitive behavioral therapy to help retrain your brain. If you're feeling like you often get stuck in negative thinking, when you speak positive thoughts, it's, it's really good. Um, the tracks we play in our head matter. They matter, you guys. When we do negative self-talk, we start to see ourselves behave and to feel negative emotions. 
When we talk kindly to ourselves and optimistically, we see our behaviors reflect that. And the Bible, the Bible tells us to focus on the positive. Now, I don't think God was saying, just stuff that other stuff under the rug and don't worry about it. No, I I think it's equally valuable and important to bring the dark out into the light and examine it. Um, But absolutely, God directs us to focus on our blessings. Um, You know, Philippians is a great example of that. Philippians says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Be intentional. Think about what's good. So my story, you guys, is just one example of healing, and yours may look different. But I want to I remind you of this message. We do get to taste heaven on earth. We do. Heaven on earth is living life in relationship with God. It's feeling whole. It's living life with continual hope. It's being able to manage our stress well. God wants us to build his heavenly kingdom here on earth. And we can best do that, help ourselves and love others, when we start by healing ourselves. And I'm going to say something that may sound a little different from what you were raised with or what you've heard before, but vulnerability, sensitivity, is strength. I'm going to say it again. Vulnerability is strength. The reason why is because vulnerable people are open to change. And non-vulnerable people or being in a non-vulnerable state of mind um, makes it hard to change. And that's when we get stuck in bad behaviors. And I think Brene Brown, um, who's a contemporary writer and philosopher, she explains it really well. She says, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. It feels like courage. And truth and courage are not always comfortable, but they're never weakness. They're never weakness. And Jesus, you guys, he wants to meet us in the chaos of our vulnerability. He wants to meet us there. He is the light in our darkness. John 1.5 tells us that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I am so encouraged by that scripture. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Every one of us here has darkness in us. We have all felt upset. We have all struggled in various ways. Some of us more than others, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we all just suffer. But the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That means that nothing has ever beat the light. If that's not encouraging, I don't know what is. But that right there spells out hope. John goes on to tell us that, again, Jesus spoke to his audience saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Jesus is that light. And friends, God never gives up on you. You may have given up on yourself a thousand times. You may be sitting here right now thinking, sheesh, when is Brent coming back to preach? Um, This is not a topic I necessarily want to hear about. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Um, But truly, God never gives up on you. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is that you're doing or perpetrating, um, or maybe you know somebody who's suffering And last week, Brent talked about um, Paul's letters, and I think it makes a nice tie-in for thinking today about this idea that in our weakness, we are strong. Um, By going through that weakness, by going through those challenge areas, we get a lot stronger. And therein, in that messiness, lies our strength and lies our dependence on God. When our world falls apart, we're forced to kind of give up or rely on God to change. 2 Corinthians 13.3 tells us, I give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak when he deals with you. He is powerful among you. Although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We, too, are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. The letters go on to say, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. And I love how he closes here. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship, and I want to point out that word fellowship because it's important. It goes back to what I was saying about support groups. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Don't be afraid of your darkness. You can go there with Jesus' light, and you can transform you can become like a tree that's healthy. And hearkening back to what I was saying earlier about letting your roots grow down, this is a lifelong process. It's not overnight. Trees take a long time to grow. Your faith will continue to grow. It's a process. You're healing. Uh, Sometimes there are setbacks, but you keep persevering. Galatians 5.22 The 23 tells us that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Um, We produce the fruits of love and joy and peace and patience. Um, And that's one that I've really been working on, especially with having little kids. Um, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. And you, you as an individual, can prune the dead branches off of your tree, off of your being, so to speak, and let that fruit grow. You can do it with the Holy Spirit. Friends, God gave us the gift of free will and free choice, and we can choose to co-create our lives with him. Now, before I close today, I want to leave you with one more thought 
So I run an at-home daycare. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I have an extensive background in education as well. I was a teacher and school administrator, and I've spent a lot of time around kids and youth. And when I'm around children, I really I feel and see color. And I've been thinking a lot like, like kids are just so, they're so open and they're oftentimes very much themselves, um, for better or for worse. So I see that sort of as colorful. And I was thinking about how when I bring Jesus into my life and, and when I shine light on my dark areas, and I still struggle to do that sometimes, um, but when I do, I feel more alive. I feel more colorful. And I think that's true of all of us as individuals. So metaphorically and realistically, when we're talking about ourselves spiritually, when we're in darkness, we're shrouded. We're kind of gray. We're misty. We're numb. We're taking that drink of alcohol. You're following through on that addiction. Maybe you're feeling anxious. Maybe you're feeling depressed. You're doing whatever it is you do to numb those feelings, and you turn gray. But when you shine the Lord's light on your being, on your very soul, the whole spectrum of color that is your soul, that is you, can shine. And that is truly beautiful. And I believe that God has given each one of us gifts, gifts to share with the world, gifts to use in this lifetime. You have one life to live, and God has given you gifts to build his heavenly kingdom. But you can't do it to your fullest potential unless you go to those dark places, unless you go there. So, friends, join me in prayer. Let's bow our heads together today. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be here today with every single person in this room. Thank you, Jesus, for your power of transformation and healing. And I pray a blessing of your unconditional love, Jesus, upon every person here. I pray that they would find the strength in their time to come to you, God, and to look at those parts of themselves that may not feel comfortable, that may be really, really scary. But I pray, Jesus, that you would be their strength and that you would transform them and bring them to a new season of rebirth, healing, and happiness. In your powerful name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.